welcome to the weekend. I want to begin with a little riddle, okay? See if you can figure out the answer to it. I gave three clues. First clue is this. You did it more as a baby than as an adult. Second clue, scientists tell us it's as effective as exercise. That is, with a burst of this, you can double your pulse, raise your blood pressure, and when you're over it, when you're done with it, they all settle back down and you can feel very relaxed. Doctors tell us it releases stress, hypertension, as well as AIDS in the healing process. You can even get rid of headaches with it. What do you think the answer is? If you said laughter, you're absolutely right. Laughter is a great medicine, as it's been said. When's the last time you had a really good laugh? Maybe it's been a while. Let me tell you a little story that may, I don't know, may give you a chuckle. There was a priest, a pastor, and a rabbi who were friends, but a bit competitive. And one day they had a discussion about which of them was the most effective in ministry. And so they came up with a contest. They decided that they would go into the woods alone and would try to convert a bear and bring back their results. This would be the ultimate test of who was the best. Well, a week later, they all came back. And the priest said, you know, I went into the woods and I really had great luck. He said, I found the bear. I read it the catechism. I sprinkled it with holy water. And next week, that bear's receiving his first communion. Well, the pastor, not to be outdone, said, I did better than that. He said, I went into the woods and there was a bear next to a stream. He said, I preached the gospel to that bear. And it was so mesmerized that it agreed to be baptized, immersed in that spring of water, that stream of water. Both of them then looked at their friend, the rabbi, who was laying there on a gurney in a body cast. He looked back at them laying there and he said, well, fellas, I guess I should not have started with the circumcision first. Maybe you got a bit of a chuckle out of that. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 17 when it comes to laughter. It says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. I don't know about you, but with all the stuff that's been going on lately, maybe you feel like your strength has been sapped by COVID-19, by social unrest, by instability in the economy, by all the rhetoric and arguing and fighting and hatred in politics. Maybe there's stuff going on in your life right now that you feel like it's not a laughing matter. I mean, it's, it's great if, if there's something to laugh about, but there's not a lot to laugh about in my life right now. There's not a lot to be happy about. I know how you feel. A couple of weeks ago when I backed out of my dad's long driveway and ran over his neighbor's mailbox, I did not find that to be laughable. It certainly did not make me happy. Is there something there, though, that can transcend the unpredictableness of life? Is there something that, that can make us glad that lifts us above all the uncertainty and stress that we're facing? Is there a resource we can draw on that can introduce into our lives and, and give us a sense of hope and of gladness and of cheer? And the answer is yes. It's all summed up in one word. And it's that beautiful word, joy. 
joy. Maybe you can even say it right where you are, whether you're by yourself or with others, your family, or you're on a cul-de-sac with some friends or neighbors. Just say it, one, two, three, joy, joy. Joy is a gift that God has given to you and me. And in fact, joy is mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit. We're in our new series. It's called Endurance. We're talking about fuel for the journey. We're saying that God does provide an energy. God does provide a strength for us that rises above all the stress that we may face in life. And the verse that we've been looking at is found over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says there, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Notice it's singular, right? And the fruit that he's talking about is this fruit that is called love. Now, everything else, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those are all attributes or characteristics of love. And what we're going to do today is we're going to focus specifically on this thing called joy and what that means for your life as well as for my life. Because I tell you what, I need more joy. I want more joy in my life. How about you? Now, a lot of people confuse happiness with joy, and they are not the same. Let me show you this little chart, and you'll see the difference, okay? So, for instance, happiness is external. It's usually that which is outside of me. Whereas joy, well, joy is internal. Joy comes from that which is inside of me, not that which is outside of me. Therefore, happiness is often circumstantial. It's what's happening to me at the time, at the moment. Joy, on the other hand, is more about character. It's who I am or what I've been made to be. Happiness is all about chance, okay? And joy is all about choice. If you remember any of these, remember those two. Happiness is about chance. Joy is about choice. So I can live my life one of two ways. And we have a tendency to drift one way or the other. Some of us tend to live by chance, by our circumstances, by everything that happens to us. It is a far greater discipline, however, to live by choice, by character, and by what has happened in our lives. As you look at these two uh, lists, which side do you tend to lean toward? I can tell you by human nature, we know our default is to lean toward the things that are outside of us, our circumstances, the people around us to influence how we feel about life and how we feel about ourselves. And that's what brings us into this emotional roller coaster, which is a terrible way to live. Joy, on the other hand, is permanent. And I'll tell you why joy becomes permanent in our lives. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. God's love, so here we go again, there's that fruit of the Spirit. God's love has been poured into, all right, poured into our hearts, your heart and my heart, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if the Holy Spirit has been given to us, and he has, and he brings God's love into our life because he is very God, that also means the attributes of God's love are there as well, are resident in my life. 
So that joy I, I seek and I want in my life, I don't have to go outside to look for it. It's already been placed in my life. But here's the problem. As Christians, we have a tendency to forget that somehow. We have a tendency to ignore that. And though we have Christ in our life, we're looking at all the wrong places for our joy. And that's why I think a lot of times we're seen as joyless people. We're seen as kind of grumpy people like the Pharisees, right? We're trying to, we're trying to come up with joy in all the wrong ways. In fact, I, I found this definition of a Puritan. I thought it was rather interesting. It said that a Puritan is a person who suffers from the overwhelming dread that somewhere, sometimes, somehow, someone may be enjoying themselves. Man, I hope that's not true about you, all right? And I certainly hope you don't know a whole lot of people like this. That's not, that's not who God wants us to be. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Look what he says. He says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Say, yeah, but that's all in the future. No, 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 no. Remember this. Jesus prayed on earth as it is in heaven. Paul said, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So we live two-dimensionally. Yes, I'm here in this physical realm, but there's a part of me that's in the spiritual realm. And I should be drawing down or drawing out from the eternal presence of God in my life, His joy, letting His joy come through my life. Even, yes, in difficult circumstances, even, yes, in suffering, we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But the joy potential is there for you and for me. Do you know that joy is used over 250 times in the Bible, the word joy? And in fact, the concept of rejoicing is used about 200 times in the Bible. Put that all together, it's like 450 times that joy or rejoicing is mentioned in the Scriptures. It is to be a part of who we are. Psalm 511 says this, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Notice what it says, refuge in you, in God. Let all those who do that, let them rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Then look what it says in John chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus is speaking, that, you, that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Don't you love that? He says, I've told you these things. I'm, I'm spending time with you. I'm doing something in your midst so that my joy will be in you and that your joy level will be full. Now, let's be honest. How many of us would say, that is the, that's my life verse? <laughs> I want that to be my life first, don't you? I want that truth to be very real in my life. Now, if you look at those two verses, Psalm 511 and John 1511, what do they have in common? They have Jesus in common, right? The joy revolves around him. So I guess kind of a crude way of saying this is your joy is determined by who you hang around. And so right now, I know and you can know who I hang around with, and I can know who you hang around with by your joy. A lot of us are just hanging around with ourselves, and that's why we don't have a lot of joy in our life. We're hanging around negative people who don't have much joy in their life. I want to spend enough time around Jesus and with Jesus every day so that it's His joy 
that's being reflected in my life. So how do we get there? How do we become more joyful? How do you as parents instill more joy into your kids, into your students? I want to look at five aspects of building joy in our lives. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, I'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, several verses in that passage, all right? So here's, here's the first thing we're going to learn. Becoming consistently joyful. You do that by, look, by rejoicing in your salvation or finding joy in your salvation. Now, in the Bible, the word grace and joy are very similar. In the Greek, they share the same root. Charis, grace, and kara, joy. It is the grace of God that makes it possible for us to experience the joy of God. It is the grace of God that allows us to be joyful people. Don't experience grace, you won't have joy. So what I want to share with you are some of the aspects of our salvation that should bring you and me great joy. Let's look at these together. First of all, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. And what I want you to focus on is this aspect of you've been chosen, and it has nothing to do with you. You weren't chosen because you're so valuable. You're valuable because you've been chosen. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We go on to another verse, and He says, over here in verse 8, it says, You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. You say, well, I hear all that joy and I hear all that rejoicing. But it just seems so, I don't know, it just seems up there in the clouds, Pastor Dale. It just seems kind of almost philosophical. I need something more concrete. I want to put my hands on something and say, this is why I can be joyful. These are the aspects of my salvation that I can go, that is worth being joyful about. So let me break it down, okay? Think about this with me. So for instance, you and I, we can have joy because all of our sins have been forgiven. Now that is worth being joyful about. Your, your slate has been wiped clean. Everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, you are fully and completely forgiven. Everything you'll ever do, you have been forgiven by the grace of God. All right, let's break it down some more. You are guaranteed a home in heaven. Wow. Let's break it down again. God is always with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Another one. You have received eternal life. More. You cannot die. Yes, physically, biologically, but spiritually, you and I, as soon as we die, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We talked about that in our last series, Tomorrowland. Another one, God works everything out for your good. God takes every situation in your life. If you let him, he'll work it out to your good. Another one, God will hear and answer your prayers. Now, he may not always answer in the way you want them answered, but he will answer them for your good. And then another one, you will spend eternity with Jesus and his followers. Folks, think about that for a minute. Is that not worth getting joyful about? 
So when we talk about salvation, it describes a whole lot of things that we can rejoice in. The problem is we have a tendency to want to find things that we can see and touch and feel to have our joy in. But remember this, those things that we can see and touch and feel sometimes are an illusion. And Satan is the master of illusion. He can take something that's absolutely good and beautiful and he can make it seem evil and fearful and depressing. He can take something that is absolutely evil and bad and make it look tantalizing and cause us to feel lust and desire in our lives. You can't trust what you see. We're not called to live by sight. We're called to live by faith and faith in the truth. So my joy has to align itself to the truth of what God has declared about me and about you. And that takes us then to something very important. That is not only rejoicing in our salvation, but then rejoice in the fact that we've been made holy. Now, when we talk about holiness, I'm not talking about something you earn. It's, I'm not talking about some, you know, beating yourself or living in a cave or, or whatever, okay? Holiness is a declaration that's, made, that's been made about us. Holiness is something that God does for us. Look what Paul said in his, or Peter said in chapter one, verse two. He said, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy. So this is something that God does for us that we cannot ever do for ourselves. It's been done for you. It's been done for me. It's a declaration made over us. It's a declaration made about us. It is meant for us to then experience, exercise, and enjoy. God gives us the capacity to live ever increasingly holy, pleasing lives to him. You know, we've been using the metaphor of, of road cycling in our sermon series. And I told you last weekend that my son-in-law got me into uh, uh, road biking. And, and one of the first things I realized I needed to do was go out and buy a new bike because the one I had was really old, about 20 years old. It was uh, a mountain bike and it's not something you want to ride for 100 miles all right, I need to get a good bike. But I didn't realize how expensive road bikes can be. I mean, like, for, like there's the Ferrari of road bikes. I mean, over 10 grand, it's amazing how expensive these things can be. So I bought something that's more on the low end, but I bought something made of carbon fiber. You, I can pick it up with two fingers. It's amazing how light it is. I got high, I got really high-end components on it. And you know what? That thing is nimble, it is fast, and it's, it's like riding on air. It's fun. But if all I ever did was keep it in my garage and I never took it out and I never rode on it, of what value would it be? I've got to actually get on the thing. I've got to pedal the thing to experience it. The same thing is true with holiness. God declares us to be holy, but we've got to activate that holiness by living in it, by living it out in our speech and in our conduct and in our attitude. And yes, there have been times where I have fallen off my bike. I did the other day. It was quite embarrassing. I got those clip-on toes uh, that you use, you know, the special shoes. 
And uh, I was following my wife on the bike after I'd done a long run. I was kind of caught up with her and we were kind of biking together. And she came and she stopped. She doesn't have the clip-ons. And I forgot I had them on. And as soon as I stopped and put the brakes on, I just, well, I just fell over like the mailbox that I ran over. And that is highly embarrassing when that happens, all right? Now, at that point, did I just kick out of my bike and throw it off in the side and say, I'm never going to ride my bike again? Of course not. I got back up a little humiliated, reminding myself, you've got to always unclip it when you stop. And I went riding again. There are going to be times when you and I blow it, when we don't live such a holy life. Our attitude, our action won't be so kind to our wife or to our kids or to our husband or to our friends or to our neighbors or to our church uh, friends. Well, what do we do when that happens? We tell God we're sorry. We tell others we're sorry. And we mount up and we keep riding. Listen carefully to me. No one can ever rob you of your salvation. Look what Peter says. He says that we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. So what God has done for us, can't nobody can rob us of that. Nobody can take that from us. But listen carefully. There is someone and there is something that can rob you of the joy of your salvation. No one can rob you of it, but someone and something can rob you of the joy of it in your life. And that someone is you. And that something is sin. When I allow sin in my life, when I choose to live in an, unho- in an unholy way, when I choose to disobey, it robs me of the joy that God has for me, that he wants in my life. But the beautiful thing is God says, I can confess my sin. I can, I can get rid of the mud. I can get off the dirty rags of sin and I can wear the robes of his righteousness. Sometimes when I go out biking, I get really dirty, especially it's been kind of wet outside. The tires will spin up the the mud on my back and I come home and I take that thing off and I put a clean shirt on. Same thing is true spiritually. Sometimes we muddy ourselves. But I love this passage I found in Isaiah chapter 61. Look what it says. I will greatly rejoice. There's the word. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful uh, headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. All I'm saying is wear, wear the holiness of God, wear the righteousness of God, wear, wear what God has given to you and enjoy it and enjoy it, move into it. And don't let the times when you fail get you down and get you discouraged and cause you to give up. And if right now you're aware, yep, there's been some failure in my life. There's been some things I shouldn't have said or done. There's some things that I've blown, confess it. And then walk away from it. And adorn yourself with what God has done for you. Number three, rejoice in service. Rejoice in salvation. Rejoice and be made holy. Now rejoice in service. Rejoice in serving the Lord. Look what it says. Go to John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is or she it is that bears much 
fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So my capacity to bear fruit depends on my relationship to Jesus. Depends on trusting in him. And just being, just being the channel through which he works, the conduit through which he works. There's joy when you sense God at work in your life. It's some of the most exhilarating moments of my life is when I sense the spirit at work in me and through me because I'm saying or doing things that I know in and myself I can't do. I know it's God at work and that gives me joy. It causes me to feel the chills, you know, when I sense, man, this is God doing something right now. I love being the vessel that he uses, don't you? Let's look at a fourth aspect of joy. Joy in salvation, joy in being made holy, joy in service, and joy or rejoicing in suffering. Let's go back to what he says. Look what Peter writes. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, boy, that's important, a little while. You know, when you're in the midst of suffering, it feels like forever. But compared to all eternity, it's just for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. How about you right now? What are the trials that are kind of grieving you? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, my whole life is not about me. Ah, that's one of the keys to overcoming suffering. It's not about me. My whole life is about Jesus. And if suffering can somehow cause me to exalt him and lift him up, then I can find joy in my suffering. Listen carefully. I'm not saying there's joy in cancer. I'm not saying there's joy in loss. I'm not saying there's joy in pain, physical pain of some sort or emotional pain of some sort. I'm not suggesting there's joy in that. But you know, here's what I have found. I have found that suffering has a way of sobering us up and separating us from the things that we think will give us joy, but in the end don't. You know, suffering has a way of teaching us that it's not all about money, that it's not all about relationships, that it's not all about success, and it's not all about achievement. When you have cancer, soon those things don't matter at all anymore. When you come down to your dying breath, those things don't mean anything anymore. All you have left in those moments are Jesus is Jesus. And if all you have left is Jesus, you've got everything. You've got everything. And it's that sense in which we can find joy in suffering. Well, last but not least, there's also joy in surrender, or we can rejoice in surrendering. Look what he says one more time, back to Peter. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. In other words, what that passage is saying is, listen, surrender to God. Surrender yourself to him and you'll experience his holiness coming into your life. And then the Christian life from here until we go into the presence of God is a process of experiencing more and more of God. Yep, we fail sometimes. We say, I'm sorry. We get back on the bike, so to speak, and we keep moving 
and we keep growing in him. And what's beautiful is as you surrender to the Lord and he takes over more of your life, guess what happens? You begin to sense him working through your life and your service to others and the blessing that you become to others increases. It's absolutely amazing. The more you surrender, the more you sense him at work in your life. There was a contemporary of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. If you're not sure who D.L. Moody was, he was kind of like the Billy Graham of his day. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist and J. Wilbur Chapman would oftentimes minister with D.L. Moody holding these great big crusades. Chapman also wrote a hymn. I mean, he was an amazing individual. And one day he found himself in London, England. And he had the chance to go and speak to the founder of the Salvation Army, General William Booth, who by then was in his 80s. And as he was talking to Booth, he just sat back and he listened. And he listened to the general talk about his trials and tribulations and his afflictions and also his victories. And finally, Chapman kind of stopped him. He said, he said, General Booth, would you please tell me what has been the secret to your success? And I want to give you Chapman's direct words here. Chapman says that the general hesitated for a second. And Chapman says, I saw tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheeks. And then he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There's there have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart all the power of my will and all the influence of my life. Now listen carefully. As Chapman walked away, he eventually wrote down these words. He said, the greatness of a person's power is the measure of surrender. And I would say to you and me today that the greatness of a person's joy is the measure of their surrender to the person of Jesus. Do you want to know joy in your life? Then surrender fully and entirely to the person of Jesus. As a believer, you have Jesus living your life through the Holy Spirit, but are you surrendered to him? And if you don't know Jesus, as your personal savior, what would keep you from surrendering to him? What does the world have to offer you and me right now that's any better? I know right now there are a lot of people who are down on the church, pointing out all the failures of the church. Well, the church is made up of sinners who, are, who have been saved and are being saved. We have our failures. We have our warts. We have the things we've done wrong. But listen, we have a perfect Savior who's patient with us, 
who, if we'll allow him, will take over our lives and do something incredible and powerful in us and through us. And one of the most powerful things he'll do in us and through us is give us that joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray and ask that you would help us to stop looking externally for our sense of joy and to draw from your presence the joy of the Lord. God, help us recognize the joy of our salvation and not to take it for granted. God, help us to realize the joy, help us to rejoice the fact that we can live a different, a better life by just practicing your truth and committing ourselves to that. Lord, help us to find joy in serving you. And God, even if we're suffering, Lord, as it strips us, as the suffering strips us of the things of this world, of this life, God, may it just cause us to cling to you in an ever-increasing and greater way. And Lord, may we know the joy of just sweet surrender to you. I pray, Father, for those who are watching and listening right now. I ask you, Lord, for a little miracle in their life. I pray that you give them a vision for joy, the joy that is found in Christ. I pray, Lord, that they would align their passions and their visions around you and you become the center of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.